Cinema Jaws is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location at Cards Against Humanity in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Rye the Movie Guy, and sitting inside the fish tank is Phil Me and Phil. How's it going, guys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we talk about money. Lots and lots of money. I'm making it rain right now, Rye. We are that? covering our top five movies about the rich. Yeah, the 1%, although we can't put the percent sign in the title of the show because it messes up MP3 players. The wealthy, the wealthy, Matt. Um, We've talked in the past, uh, did our top five movies about poor poverty, you know? We did. And that was a fun list. And we have a a review this week where there is a very wealthy family doing some very strange things. Yeah. Got us thinking about rich, wealthy families. That is our top five this week. Yeah, it's a good tie-in, Ryan. I like it. I do, too. Get thinking of those movies, Jawheads. Helping us with that list is a returning guest. Yes. Always a pleasure to have Frank T. Ziti in the house. He has a new project entitled Cora. Can't wait to talk to Frank all about that. I agree. Last time we actually saw Frank, we ran into him at C2E2, which is the... uh, Comic Chi- convention here. Yeah, it's and, Chicago's Comic Con. And we always run into past guests, and we ran into Frank, and it was great to see him. Yeah, and, uh, with his said, kid. We said, we'll get you back on the jaw and talk when you got a, a project coming up. And, and here he is. And here he is. Uh, besides that, we have more going on, don't we, Phil? Oh, you know what, Ryan? We're also going to be going eye for an eye on Don't Let Go this week. And we have a review of Ready or Not. Can't wait to talk about Ready or Not. And we're still celebrating Morgan Freeman Month all of August, so I thought this is a good time for Matt to take Frank on in Morgan Freeman cast movie trivia. I'm going to give you Morgan Freeman and the rest of the cast. You name the movie. Okay. Sound good? Yeah, potpourri. It's going to be fun. And always trying something new here, Matt. Instead of, in lieu of Cinema War, a new segment of sorts... It's actually an old segment. That we're bringing back. That's right. We haven't done Hollywood headlines since circa 2010, yeah. I think. And there's some big ones out there right now, Jawheads. Huge. So we'll just go sort of round, you know, round the horn and talk about uh, the Hollywood headlines yeah. and, and our take on them. Think of us as your movie news pundits. We're going to analyze and discuss today's headlines in Hollywood. Wow. A lot going on this show. Always. Before we bring in Frank, we do... I want to start off with a Morgan Freeman fact, since August is Morgan Freeman month. Why wouldn't you start that way? Right. So let's start it right there. Phil, what do you got for us? Yes, this week's Cinema Job Morgan Freeman fact. Morgan Freeman likes to cook, and he even wrote a cookbook. Uh, The actor got help from some of his famous buddies to compile different recipes in the Morgan Freeman and Friends Caribbean Cooking for a Cause cookbook. Funds from the book's sales went on to support his hurricane relief charity, uh, which is great. And some of the actors that he had contribute dishes were Tom Hanks, Tim Robbins, and Katie Couric, among others. And the ti- the tagline for the cookbook was, if you think that title's a mouthful, just wait till you try the recipes. <laughs> no? Terrible. Oh, Terrible. Oh, come on, man. Wah, wah, wah. I thought it was good. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I'm buying the cookbook, but... 
Maybe if Morgan Freeman narrated the cookbook. Right. I'll, I'll buy the audio <laughs> Yeah, book. get the audio book. Th- throw it in the fish tank. Is there an audio book version of Morgan Freeman's cookbook? That I would listen to. Now you add a teaspoon of sugar, <laughs> followed by a pinch of salt. That was my terrible Morgan impression. Uh, we're already having fun. And to have some more fun, Matt. Yeah. A returning guest, as you mentioned, Frank Tiziti. He's been on before. He had a web series called Black, which I think you can still stream now on Amazon. And he has a new project entitled Cora that he is working on. Frank, welcome back to Cinema Jaw. Thank you so much for having me. And based on what you just said, I had it in my mind. Andy Dufresne <laughs> would like a souffle. <laughs> it's awesome. There has to be an audiobook. Oh, I hope there is. It. Yeah, I fingers crossed yeah. in the fish tank. So it's good to see you guys. Stuff. How you been? Yeah, I'm doing really good. How doing about great. yourself, Frank? I've, I'm incredibly proud of you guys, man. You're you're killing it. You guys are doing so many reviews and so many things and going to so many screenings. I think it's just great. You listen Thank to Cinema Jod, so does it get you to want to see a movie, get you excited to see the movies when we're yeah, talking about them? I was reminded, like, I know that we're going to review a movie this week, and I, I travel so much for my regular day job, and I just I went to a theater by myself last night just so I made sure that I was in the loop on our reviews. It was great. I remind, reminded myself of what it's like when the lights go down and you got a handful of popcorn and a soda and a now a comfortable lounge chair in almost every theater and your tickets are assigned and you don't have to get, a, get there early. It was just great. It was reminding me what film was all about. It was good. So as I mentioned, your web series Black, we yep. had you on various times during the creation of Black and the release of it. And now it is basically put together in sort of a long form on Amazon, and it's still out there. People can search Black on Amazon and find it there. Yeah, that and 9,000 other things named Black. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good run. We did crowdfunding, and we, we put together a sort of independent filmmaker digital series and turned it into a long-form piece, and that was a good ride. Yeah. And so that brings us to your new project. Yeah. This is pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm because stoked. Because right before we even started recording, you started dropping hints, and I said, hold it, hold it until we actually hit the record button here. The name of this project is Cora. Yeah. which stands for Combat Ordnance Research Aggregate. So if anybody knows me, if it's a Frank ZD project, there's probably going to be a gun in there. Uh, I'm an action kid who grew up on movies like Die Hard and Big Trouble in Little China and, you know, it just sure. it, you know, going to di- double features, which turned into quadruple features because we would slip from theater to theater. That's a felony uh, or misdemeanor. But anyway, sure it's that, a misdemeanor. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that makes me feel better. So, I mean, I grew up on action flicks as a kid, so I've always loved action films. But I've also been in, uh, totally enamored with sci-fi for quite a long time. I'll, I, I know you talk and have talked constantly about the, 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 the really Scott films, you know. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so I've been sort of totally about that. But there's a couple of films that have sort of stuck with me. Imagine a hybrid of Annihilation, sort of the organic sort of scientific element of that. A little bit of Hannah, which is this sort of female strong lead, which is just a great, great story in itself. I to tell that story. But then if you remember a movie called The Hunted that had Tommy Lee Jones and Manitio del Toro. Yes. Yeah. So he was this mentor who didn't want to be sort of a killing mentor. And then del Toro was the soldier who had PTSD, who was double crossed. So we sort of put all those together in this, lack of a better term, hybrid of a film about this female super soldier who is developed by DARPA, which is the the Devan. What is it? Uh, let's put that in the fish tank. I think it's the Development Advanced Research Project Agency as part of the U.S. government program. I'd buy that if, if, they you, do, if you told sounded me that. Very, yeah, that's very official. I'm trying to do what I can on my research. <laughs> um, you guys know my favorite filmmaker is Michael Mann, so one of his big things is technical accuracy. So I'm always staying with technical accuracy to try to make sure a project is realistic as possible. 
But DARPA is doing research in, in so many different fields, advanced robotics, exoskeletons, different aircraft, but they are currently working in nanorobotic technology. So if you think of nanorobots, one human hair is 25,000 nanorobots wide. Wow. So what you do is you put these into your bloodstream and at a molecular level, they can supposedly fix your body, cure cancer, go in, but they can also change your skin tone. They can change your muscular structure, right? So the concept- Give you a boost of adrenaline or- Whatever it may be, right? Yeah. So it's having these robots in your bloodstream. And then there's a thing called CRISPR, which is a genetic editing technology that right. goes in and actually edits in the genetic code fixing things and removing things. And there's actually a Chinese scientist who, I don't know if you read the story. Did. Yeah. He went out and genetically edited 25 families and did not tell the scientific community. So right. There's a big kerfuffle over the ethics involved, but it's still amazing that, that this is possible today. Well, and he says that he's cured these, these babies from ever contracting the AIDS virus, but what they don't know is what has he made them susceptible to? Right. Right. So, so that's our story. So this, this DARPA program utilizes at a very early, like in an embryonic level, what if you were to combine CRISPR genetic editing technology to refine the organism, and then at a molecular level since birth, you've added nanorobotics into the bloodstream and the muscle structure. So what you have now is this super advanced I love killing it. machine. Right. And uh, the program is on for a little while, but it's not doing well, and they can't figure out why. So the lead of this program brings in this sort of Tommy Lee Jones character whose name is Volick, and Volick comes in and he basically says, you're doing it all wrong. You've got them in a lab, you've got them in this sort of, you know, base camp environment. You need them to get out of the nature, you need them to get out of the world and teach them survival sure, skills. Sure, maybe and, go to the club once in a while. Yeah, right, <laughs> hit the streets. So, uh, yeah, so that's the, this, this IP, this intellectual property I've put together is a large scale series. And as a part of that, we're trying to shoot a 16 to 18 minute short. So we'll take that. We'll try to cut it sort as of best a we can. Proof of concept film. Absolutely. Yeah. And all the aspects of all the the, the 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 success we had or any accolades we had from Black, we're using all of that as sort of the door opening opportunity with Netflix, Amazon. We have our executive producer Noam Dromi, who's an Emmy Award winner, who wrote uh, Dolphin Tale. I don't know if you know that. Oh, right? I that know concept. Dolphin Tale. Sure. Right. It's a big hit. Drew Barrymore masterpiece. Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yes. Strangely enough, that just got weird how it all came <laughs> together. Dudes in everything. Dudes in everything. So, uh, so Noam's on. And then we got Corey Gilbert, who was our producer on Black. Yeah. And he's our Chicago guy. He's, he's the main producer pulling it all together. We've also had him on the show. Yeah. 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 So we've, we've got, we did auditions, have a great cast. We've, we've got some fantastic cast members. We're going to do another crowdfunding campaign to go back to the Kickstarter community just because they're amazing. And uh, we've got some great partners again. We partnered with a company called Triple Aught Design, which makes some of the world's best outdoor clothing. So they're going to dress all of our lead cast members. We got uh, props and optics, and we just got a lot of people behind it. You know how to pull all this stuff together, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a hustler in the, in the business <laughs> sense. Like, I shake a lot of trees and I, see what how, it falls out. I like out. that. And I was going to ask, because we have a, a lot of guys that come on that are filmmakers or, yeah. or want to get into it. And you having experienced what you did going through black and being able to get through that door of at least having it out on Amazon. Um, this second go around, how much do you feel more confident knowing that you've sort of done it once and now you're just trying to, to, to grow it that much larger? Do you feel confident this time around from I, I, black? Yeah. I mean, I think every experience just helps you get better at what you do. And, and as long as you can remain a student, 
and you don't get an ego. Uh, if, if you don't, you know, if you don't think that you're bigger than you are and you just are very honest and humble and direct with people and not try to be something you're not. So if you go to them cast members wise, like there's a couple people in, in LA who were trying to be as star cameos in this project. And we're just very transparent. We're like, hey, this is who we were. This is what we've done. And we're curious if you want to be a part of it. So, um, but more confident, man, I, I, don't, I don't know. Any good artist should be really skeptical of themselves and, you know. For sure. But I don't know if we've had this conversation before. For any indie filmmakers listening to this, there's a quote. And man, I believe it's Teddy Roosevelt. And it's called Man in the Arena. And uh, it's fantastic. If Phil brings up part of it or whatever. But it's something along the lines of, it's not the critic who counts. It's the person who's in the arena that's their their face is marred by dust and you know, scrapes and scratches. Even though they fail, they'll never know. You know, they'll know what that feels like, but they'll never know the the cold existence of never ever trying. Mm -hmm. And that that quote for me has always pushed me forward. So wow. I will always be the man in the arena. You know, maybe not the most successful, maybe not the greatest filmmaker, but I'm not going to sit on okay. the sidelines and die a life of cold great advice existence yeah yeah, yeah. It, anyways it, it strikes me that right now is a particularly good time to to be a frank ziti because of disney plus and all the other new streaming platforms apple's got one coming out yeah um so they're all so hungry for original content uh, and, and with a proven track record, you're probably in a very good position, man. So I best mean, of luck. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that. I mean, I know that we're now these days, you, you, there's no excuse not to be trying. With every single camera platform that was out, you, you know, and, and, and the access to tools and the access to talent, like great actors just want to work. That's why you see some name actor do some project that's out of the middle of nowhere, you know, because they just want to be a part of good things. Mm -hmm. So... I feel like what where Black was fun and it had a good time. I really do feel like Cora is a deep, deep story. There's a, a ton of layers of complexity, and I think it has the legs to really feel like if a network or a studio or an OTT platform were to look at us, they'd say, yeah, that's a good series. And, it sounded great here. The pitch sounded fantastic. You know, season two into season three, there's major, huge bumps and changes that can happen, and it really makes it something that you want to watch. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, for the Jawheads listening to this that want to maybe get involved, help you guys out, are you guys going to be doing uh, a crowdsourcing thing for Cora? What, what, where can you guide them? Yeah, I mean, we're going to have uh, we have a website already which has very little information on it, but it's thecoraproject.com. And you can you know send us contact info there, but we're going to have a Kickstarter that's going to be that same labeled name, like kickstarter.com, I believe, the Cora Project. So hopefully within the next 30 to 60 days, once we lock down some casting details, get in and we'll launch out that campaign and we're swinging for the fences. We got some props made by a prop artist who works for Legacy Effects in Los Angeles and they built the Iron Man suits. We've got some, as we said, some really great uh, partners that are going to give away some great stuff on our Kickstarter pages. Awesome. Uh, and we're going to use every contact that we gained and it, that's why we shot not a full series this time, just this standalone, simple piece that would be sort of a testament to what we can create. Right. And uh, we're going to try to shoot it as good as we possibly can. It's awesome. Yeah, shoot on a high level. I can't wait to see this. I yeah. know.
It was exciting, too, because uh, we've been doing Cinema Jaw long enough where we could say we remember, you know, black where it was at one point, and now here we are on to the next project. It's pretty awesome. It and is. I've loved the crew we work with, but, man, we're dealing with Kevin Otterhouse from Post House Pictures. We're going to shoot on the Red Dragon, so we'll shoot at the really high, you know, 4K level. We're dealing with Greg Poljancic, who is one of the stunt choreographers for this Midwest stunt team who's worked on all the big shows in town. So we're going to have stunt doubles, real amazing fight choreography. Uh, going to do some VFX work with some people out of L.A. So that's, hopefully that 16 to 18 minutes can really show people what we're capable of. Matt, I'm, I'm going to make a prediction here. Around season three of Korra on Netflix. Frank will stop returning your emails? No, I, I'm going to be an extra. I'm going to get shot in the jungle somewhere. Oh, sh- if that happens, can <laughs> I please be holding the gun, Frank? Listen, I'm the, I, I'm the series creator, so literally, if I were to cast you right now, Rye the movie guy is a is a, is a a scientist who works in a DARPA lab. Like, it's just got the look. Nice. And Matt Kay is the conspiracy theorist who runs a, you know, AM radio <laughs> podcast. Oh, no. Who's, who's, who's basically saying nanorobots are going to take over the world oh man i love it but somehow can i still get to ryan and <laughs> sure okay good sure cool. as long as that happens yeah. yeah good times well again yeah best of luck with cora this is Thanks. very exciting sounding I, I think the pitch here got me pumped for it i'm so. stoked i just checked out the website it looks great i'm ready for this one yeah um frank we do like to end all of our guest interviews with a silly cinema cue something possibly having to do with morgan freeman Phil, you got something for Frank? I do, Frank. So Cora's coming out uh, in honor of you. It's a sci-fi film and in honor of Morgan Freeman Month. Uh, I wanted to ask uh, which of Morgan Freeman's sci-fi films are better, which of these two, Deep Impact or Lucy, both of them known for their terrific track record. Man. Wow. Morgan Uh, Freeman, excellent in both, we should say. Yeah, Deep Impact was also like the the, the intellectual's version of Armageddon, and that was a better (laughs) movie. So it's got to be Lucy, and it was really because Lucy took some really bold choices and chances. How that movie ends, and I don't want to spoiler alert, but how like Scarlett Johansson turns into a a, a quantum physics yeah. level computer <laughs> it's ridiculous so i think that's luke Besson too it who is. makes some really good action yeah i'd pick lucy mm. i would too i actually right. think it's underrated i'd pick lucy as well yeah i'd probably go lucy as well Man. so i'm shocked i like how we're all in agreement to be on honest this. too i haven't seen deep impact and i don't know how long where lucy's pretty fresh in my my Brain. Yeah, it, it laid on the it laid on the schmaltz mm-hmm. a lot. Where Armageddon was like, we have no schmaltz. Yeah, we're just going. Yeah. All right. So Frank is sitting in on this entire jaw. He has his top five movies about the rich. But even better, Matt, as he mentioned in the interview, he went out and he saw Ready or Not. So he's going to chime in with the uh, the review. That's I love that when that happens. Dedication. Dedication, Ryan. Dedication. You got to come ready for the jaw. Absolutely. Bring this eye for an eye, Phil. Yes, this week on Eye for an Eye, don't let go. After a man's family dies in what appears to be a murder, he gets a phone call from one of the dead, his niece. He's not sure if it's a ghost or if he's just going mad. But as it turns out, he's not going mad. The film stars David Oyelowo and Brian Mann. It is directed by Jacob Estes, who also directed Mean Creek back in 2004. Ryan, we throw it on over to you, pal. I did see the trailer for this mm-hmm. um, before something. And oh, I, you saw a trailer? Yeah. I was telling Matt, I don't watch trailers that much, but I did see this this particular trailer. Okay. And I remember thinking to myself, this looks like a, a, a good movie on like a rainy Saturday if I was sitting on my couch. It, would it get me up into the theater to see this movie? No. So for that reason, an ignore. But maybe on a, on a rainy Saturday and I'm, it's on Netflix, I would probably check it out. 
Okay, so first of all, I think the the film has a good enough pedigree alone to get me interested. But I love me a good murder mystery. Put in some time travel and uh, something smart, almost like a, a primer slash looper vibe, which it clearly has at least going on the trailer. And I am full on in. This looks like a movie that I would love, love. Can't wait. Frank? I, uh, maybe I need to watch the trailer again. <laughs> I don't know anything Based about this Based upon his, yeah. his last statements there, <laughs> I did not see Looper and Time Cop in Me this. Me neither. So I, from was, my gut reaction, it was definitely eh. I don't know. So that's a not. That's a no. Yeah. yeah. But a now, a now I need to go watch the trailer. Again. Watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds amazing. <laughs> Phil? I, uh, Matt, you're on your own again this week. Sorry, pal. (laughs) What they need to do is hire me to do their marketing, apparently. Yeah. It sounds like a cool, like, short film. If it was, like, 18 minutes, he's getting a call from a dead person who's actually in the past. No? Didn't that was uh, Wade do that movie with a radio frequency? Jim Jim Caviezel. (laughs) Right? Frequency. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Three ignores one interested for Don't Let Go. Well, I don't know if we're going to get a, a review. Oh, I Matt, will. Let us know how it is. I'll take one for the Matt team. Matt probably already saw it, but in this time travel uh, thing, right, he exactly. can't tell us until next Are week. Are you from the future? <laughs> the past, actually. <laughs> Matt, speaking of new movies, imagine it's your wedding day. Imagine you are marrying into a very wealthy family. Imagine that they ask you to play a game at the stroke of midnight. Imagine that game turns deadly. This is the idea for the new film, Ready or Not. Did the movie pass go and collect 200 hours? Or did it pull a go-to-jail card? Me and Matt and Frank rolled the dice and checked this one out. So, at midnight, you have to play a game. Why? It's just something we do when someone new joins the family. A game. What game? Hide and seek? Are we really going to play that? The rules are simple. You can hide anywhere. We then try to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? I mean, stay hidden till dawn. (laughs) No, thank you. Good luck. What the hell is this? How old is this thing? Matt, I did not know it till now, but there is something wickedly funny about a deadly game of hide-and-seek. The new film, Ready or Not, may be based on a silly premise, but the filmmakers filled this world up with some extremely fun characters to play along. Samra Weaving plays Grace, the young bride marrying into the Ladomas family. This is no ordinary family. They are extremely rich and very eccentric. They came into their wealth when their great-grandfather started a gaming company. However, hard work may not be the only reason for their success. Hence, the family is superstitious and insist on playing a game every time they welcome a new member of the family in. The one game The one game that does turn deadly is the random card Grace pulls that night, hide-and-seek. When she runs off to hide in in the large mansion, she thinks she's playing for fun, but the truth is she's playing for her life. The plot and the selling point of this movie 
is not maybe the best, but the characters, the heightened visual violence that is played for laughs and the tone of the film are really what makes Ready or Not into a 2019 surprise. Andy McDowell, wow, plays the, the groom's mother and oh, did she nail it. I really missed her. It is a sinister role that she just elevates. The father of the family, in fact, every member of the Ladomas clan is hilarious. For the most part, the violence is played for laughs, but when directors Matt Open and Tyler Gillette want to be serious and add some suspense, they get it done. The underlying theme of the film, that of which is the rich don't care about anyone and are willing to do some horrific things to make sure they keep their wealth was a nice touch. And the ending of this film builds to one over-the-top, hilarious, bloody scene. I laughed. I was grossed out. I was in to Ready or Not. I had a blast with this one, Matt. So my review is almost the exact mirror reflection of Ryan's. Aside from the fact that I also had a lot of fun with the movie. But I think that the concept is the best thing about this movie and, and the main selling point that it's going the to be... The concept. The concept. The concept that they're going to play hide-and-seek. You think that's some great concept? That they're playing hide-and-seek for life, yes. I think for it was life dumb. and death. No, that, that's, that's a great concept. I don't think that they fully execute on that concept. The good things... The, the Victorian mansion that they're in with the secret panels and doors. Fantastic. I think it's amazing. Loved Love it. the set piece. Great. Um, the, the conceit that they play this game whenever they welcome a new member, wonderful. Andy McDowell, terrible. Not, what? what? I, I wholeheartedly agree. You didn't like her either? The best thing about she was flat. The best thing about Andy McDowell is her death. You guys. And I'm not saying this because I'd like to see her die, but that was the best thing that she did in the movie. That's because her character was was building to that. That everybody wanted to see her die. No, she was actually pretty sweet up until like the moment before. She was off. The tone of her character was off. Um the, 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 I don't want to give anything away, but the culmination is something that really bothered me as well because I felt it was just lazy. It's almost, don't get me wrong, I love me some blood dripping from the ceiling. Now, that's great. But after the joke that happened directly before it, and people who see this film will know what I'm talking about, the final demise felt kind of like it was all a dream kind of thing. I didn't like it. I wanted to see people get their comeuppance one by one and get killed. The people that do die in this movie, wherever there is a bit of a body count, are the the help, okay? Which is also, I, I guess maybe they're trying to do a social commentary on the, the whiteness of old money, which is fair. But the fact that it's only people of color dying in this movie is a little problematic. I do agree with you about the when they slow down the violence and play it for reels instead of for, for laughs. Right. There are some moments oh, of yeah. pure suspense in this movie. Let's just, no, no, I'm going to, to definitely take issue with the word suspense. There is no yes. suspense in this yes, movie there is whatsoever. Some suspense. No, there's, there's a gross out scene. I guess if you can call suspense, what we know is about to happen and waiting for it to happen. That's suspense. That's the exact definition of suspense. Well done, Matt. <laughs> there's, there's one moment of suspense, but it's, it's, it's for, a moment of pain that we we see coming from a mile that was away. The best. That, that was, was awesome. The best. That was awesome. The goat pit scene. Yes. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. Definitely the best moment in the movie as far as the violence goes. Otherwise, there's a lot of splat stick opportunity that they missed. And you're saying this is a surprise. It's not a surprise to me who who is a seasoned uh, horror comedy goer. 
I, it was just okay. I liked it. It was just not great. Frank, you saw this. Where, where do you chime in? Well, I don't know where to begin with all those ins and outs and ups and downs. <laughs> right. Gotta keep, gotta keep it, cl- gotta keep it clean here. Gotta keep it focused. Uh, I thought that uh, I didn't think Andy McDowell really delivered. I felt like it was not that I had to look at any movie, maybe other than Groundhog Day, where Andy McDowell really shines. Multiplicity. Oh yeah, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. But if you compare that to, and I'm looking at their names here, Mark O'Brien, who played the groom. Yes, mm-hmm. he's great. Yeah, he was incredibly genuine. The bride was great, Sarah Weaving. And then Adam Brody, his sarcasm was deep and thick, but honest. He was the best. He was, it was honest. Uh, and I thought the dad, too, you know, he played the role. Henry, I can't even say his name, Zerny. I thought what really started to sell for me was the, the set design and the, the cinematography. Yeah. It was beautiful. Gorgeous. Like the room where the Labois or the Du Bois family or whatever meets and the look and feel of it all. And, and all those old weapons that were on the, yeah. the, the wall when they walk in. But the premise, too, that they're a game-making family, that that's been their thing. That was cool. I dug that whole... I, okay, so I did, too, because I was saying that the premise of the film is, is the weak point. I didn't like it that they were playing hide-and-seek. Yeah. But when they brought that up, that that's how they got their wealth was that they made these games... Tied it in enough where it was at least, again, I use the word believability yeah. in, in the sense that we're watching a movie. Within but its least, own universe. Exactly. At least it felt for a moment like, okay, I get why this makes some sense here. One, one critique I would have is that they did a bad job of selling that, that if they don't do this, their benefactor kind of explaining who that was or mm-hmm. what that is or those yeah. things. The benefactor thing was so loose and vague. I agree with you. And it's revealed with the twist in the end in a really kind of comedic way. But what I loved was they sold the believability that this guy would bring his bride into this, knowing that it would happen and knowing the reasons why he did it. Like he, he didn't want to. And, and I, I just there were moments where I saw a person who was was out of his mind enough to bring his wife in with this thing possibly going to happen, that his family is going to stalk and hunt her. And she did an amazing performance when they're in that sort of causeway inside the house or yeah. that sort of catchway. And she's just realizing that this is a real thing. And she's like talking to the person that she just married. Mm-hmm. There's a scene later on where all hell's breaking loose and she comes outside and you flash back to less than eight hours ago when she was there doing her vows right on the same piece of property. Right. I thought it was amazing. Mm-hmm. That was good. Um, but there were there were several points where, you know, the the fake... Navstar, Telstar thing with the fake with the voice. Car. Who nobody would have reported the car stolen that fast, and it was such a painful, <laughs> painful plot point. Yes, it was painful. Well, there, there's another, and then it also just starts right back up again when he. I was like, guys, that's so weak. I agree, that was weak, you, and you, and there's also moments. Okay, it is a mansion. It's funny and it, though. It is a large mansion, but there there's literally moments where there's some action, like in the hallway or in yeah. a room, where maybe you know a certain character, like the help, gets shot, yeah. and she gets away. We're talking, she went down the hallway, down right. our room, and nobody goes after her right away. It's it's yeah. very unbelievable in the sense of, like, if they really needed to get her, yep. they could have went, you know, two rooms down and tried to get her instead of everybody's, like, stalling And you can look in at the that, hallway. like, why didn't they get a bigger mansion or a bigger house? And, like, these guys haven't really done anything other than VHS back in, in 2015, right. right? The directors. So, praise, you know, praise the film gods that these guys were given a chance Mm -hmm. to do a movie that is full theatrical run right now, getting massive press and production with no major superstar in it. Right. And I think it'll do well. So, I I mean, all those things. It is doing well. 
they by were, all accounts. There you go. So they had to fight budget probably. This is the biggest building they could get with the most ornate rooms they could get. But it would have been fantastic to see some sort of super Sprawling, palace. And, right? you know, all of a sudden it was getting a, getting a bigger sense of it. You know, you could have done one of those uh, Paul Thomas Anderson sort of like in Life Aquatic when you saw oh, the boat. Oh, not Paul Thomas Anderson, not, no, not Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Well, yeah. now everybody's going to hate my guts. <laughs> the Wes Anderson where you saw the boat from Life Aquatic and you got a sense of it. You yeah. could have done something like that with a diagram mm. of him talking to his wife laying out the Lebois mansion. They right. kind of do that with some of the the, scene, the things you see Slow in the hallway. Pans. Well, in, yeah. in the security room, you see a bit of it. But yeah. I know I agree. The world building is weak. They don't explain the benefactor thing, which I thought one of the more interesting parts of the film was that secretive piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's still fun though. It's great. It was a fun ride. Well, for I didn't sure. think I was going to laugh nearly as much as I laughed. So yeah. for me, I think expectations going in, I thought, well, it'll be, have a couple of laughs and it'll have some gore. But I mean, I was laughing out loud. I mean, at least 20 different times in the movie. And that, that's the sign of a good flick for me. Yeah. So yeah. it's a couple of good laughs. Yeah. Breaking it down a little bit further, Matt, uh, a best scene or a highlight, something that you wanted to Which, mention. This is interesting because my, my best scene and my, my worst scene are the exact same scene. And I will just call the scene Dawn. And it comes toward the very end of the picture. Uh, I, and it's very difficult for me to talk about this without spoiling it. But some of the characters expect something to happen when, when Dawn arrives. Okay. And... What they expect doesn't happen in the way they expect it, and it's very, very comedic. But then something does happen, okay? And what does happen left me, while it was a spectacle to enjoy, and that was fun, I was a little disappointed with Mm. exactly what it was. I wholeheartedly agree, and I think they took the easy way out. Yes. It would have been better if it was all just ridiculousness, Mm. and she was the one who decided to... Finish make the those game. Choices and chances mm. would have been a lot better. I agree. Would have been more brutal. Um, maybe maybe would have been a sequel. Uh, there you go. For me, two two highlights that haven't been mentioned yet. One, we got to talk about Grace's look, uh, which is the lead. She's in this wedding dress, and at it's one fair. point it uh, gets ripped. So she rips the bottom of it, and because she's playing hide and seek, she has these gym shoes on, and then she gets this gun and this ammo that she goes over it, and she even at one point looks in the mirror and recognizes like. This is some damn getup I got on. This is a wedding dress. I've got some blood is, on I me. I think it's I an got elephant rifle. It's so awesome. Yeah. So I love. Cal. I love that little moment that yeah. it, it sort of paused and, and um, recognized that. And then also the the scene that I thought was extremely suspenseful was the stable scene where she falls down into a pit and needs to climb up this ladder that just falls apart. And can she go through with it to get herself all the way up? It was one of those, the audience, we saw it, and it was sort of like people were gasping with the suspense of, is this going to happen? Is it going to happen? Oh, my God, it happened. That's the one moment of suspense in the movie. That was fun. Yeah. But it was a well-played scene. I agree. I agree. Issues that we didn't mention, Matt? Well, I I, I mentioned mine already. It was was Dawn. Just, Just the ultimate comeuppance, I felt, was a little trite. Yeah, and I mentioned mine. I didn't feel that the family went after her hard enough in the, in the mansion at times. It mm-hmm. just seemed like, what is she doing? She literally walk into a room and starts talking to another character when we're supposed to believe her life is on the line, you know, about 25 feet away down the hallway, you know, that, that small gripe. Um, how about influences? Yeah, there's a few here, uh, definitely. So Clue is probably the most, Clue mentioned the most obvious one. Um, Battle Royale, for obvious reasons. Uh, and then there's a touch of Rosemary's Baby thrown in there for good measure. Hmm. 
I also went with uh, People Under the Stairs. I can see it. And I think it's because of the house and sort of the secret rooms. Yeah, the, and the being feel chased. And chased and running around the house. God, I, I got to rewatch that one. It was a good one. Yeah, it is. Yeah. What'd you learn here, Matt? What did I learn? That you can learn anything on YouTube. Get handed an ancient crossbow? <laughs> no problem. That was a good gag. That was a really good was gag. Great. That was a good gag. <laughs> Let's get to know your crossbow. Yeah. You expect me to know how to use this thing? That was a good joke. Yes. So refreshing. And when the crossbar actually got used was pretty hilarious. Yeah. And I'm not spoiling anything. Both of right. those are actually in the trailer. Right. So um, For me, I learned that uh, Samara Weaving could play Margot Robbie's sister. Yes. Oh, my goodness. It was like looking at times like, oh, is it Margot Robbie? I, I'm, you know, almost confused. She looks so much like her at times. Uh, that's a real thing. I, I saw in some of the press for this film that, uh, and I don't think this is a fair comparison necessarily, although she does bear resemblance, that they, they say the poor man's Margot Robbie. Huh. I, I thought she was a really talented D- d- Me performance too. delivery. I thought Loved she it. was really compelling. I actually really did like the buildup too, like the stuff before the wedding and the subtext of all those characters. I thought her and the groom sold it much mm-hmm. more than the family members. Like mm-hmm. they sold the strife of what was going on in that family. Agree. No. How about a movie poster quote, Matt? I was ready to, but I did not love it. I went with a bloody great game of hide and seek. Yeah. How many jaws? Let's go around the room. Four jaws scale. Okay, so 2.5. This is, this is, it crosses the line uh, for, for a bunch of reasons, but it does not excel. 2.57. <laughs> trying to get specific here, but I agree. I think it was a fun, fun ride. If you know what it is going in, you're going to enjoy it. Three Jaws. Three Jaws. I liked it a little bit more than you guys. Wow. So You're praising this. Hey. You need to see more horror comedy, Ryan. I like this one. Little, little, little tit in the end. And again, I'm not, I hope, not spoiling anything. I would have loved an epilogue. Mm. I would have loved to have seen her six months down the road. Also, for the Jawheads mm. that want to know if there is something after the credits, there is not. I was there a little disappointed by that. I sat through the whole thing thinking, well, there's probably going to be a tidbit at the end of this I movie. Right. There's there nothing. Wasn't. There was nothing. Really? Yeah, because so. it was, it was, the story was over. That was it. And it was a nice, iconic shot at the end. Hmm. I guess Marvel has trained us to expect that, that post-credits thing. But Some hey, of us more than others, hey, right? But they've gotten <laughs> us to sit through credits. Oh, yeah. So kudos to, to Disney for that. All right. We're all recommending. I, I liked it the most, but uh, we are saying that it is, is fun. Absolutely. So if Check you this do one out. see Ready or Not, shoot us a tweet at CinemaJaw, or you can email us feedback at CinemaJaw.com. Let us know what you thought. Again, the family is very wealthy in Ready or Not, so yeah. that gave us the tie-in this week to do our top five movies about the rich. And we let the guest get started. We always ask them if it was a difficult list to come up with. And, and this one is, is a little bit odd because I can actually ask Frank, um, this is a list about um, the rich, and, and you can in, you know, relate to the rich. I can't? I think. I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah. uh, sure. I can? Sure. <laughs> no, but was this a tough list for you to come up with? Uh, I mean, after a little bit of research, no, there was some films. I, I hadn't really thought of them about movies about rich people. But yeah, once you have that premise and you, movies about what it means to be wealthy or affluent, I, there was a couple that jumped out at me. You're and, starting to sit number five. We, I know I'm going to break the rules here, oh but I've listened to the jaw, and sometimes that's okay. My number five is actually not a movie. Oh, boy. It's a TV show. Get the bouncers. Because If it's in the last 10 years, I think that's okay. It's, it's current and on right now, and it is some of the best television out there today. It's Don't tell me the Real Housewives of whatever. Succession on HBO. Mm. I've never heard of this. No. Okay. You, it is in its second season. It just got renewed for its third. 
It is about one of the most wealthy, affluent families in New York City, in the media world. They own theme parks and media fictional stations. Fictional or, or real? All fictional. Okay. You can base it on, right, the, 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 the Murdoch family or the Disney family or whatever. It is brutal and painful, and it's the world of the ultra, super, uber rich. And they are bitter and vindictive, and the, the children are all fighting for the throne of this father who has a heart attack in the pilot. I can't recommend it enough. Mm. If you like television, this is some of the best television. And it's brutal. I want to be clear here, right? There's drug addiction and, you know, backstabbing and all these different things. But, boy, the first season was amazing, and the second season just – it's the aftermath of the explosion of the finale of season one. But it deals in this world of everybody having more money and more money than they, they know what to do with. Wow. And it destroys them. The entire family, it just corrupts every single member of the family. Seems a, to be a reoccurring theme. A TV show listed at number five. We'll let it pass only because Frank's a friend of the show. I appreciate it. A lot of times that would just end the show. We'd have yeah. to just kick the guy so, out. Sorry. sorry. You know? Yep. But it's so good. You have to watch it. Brian well, it Cox is, is the lead. If, if it was on something other than HBO, I might have given you more guff. But HBO, home box office. Man. Basically Well movies. done, Matt. Yep. Yeah. It is home box office. Yep. Check it out. True. Yep. All right. That swings it to me at number five. Speaking of Disney, I am starting out the list with an animated classic. What? Yeah. Cinderella. Oh. One of the more ancient stories about class structure and and trying to break out of poverty and get into that 1%. And obviously, there's three strata of class within Cinderella. You have the prince and, and the king in the palace, who's obviously the 1% very top. You have the evil stepmother and her daughters, who are sort of like the upper middle class, like just wealthy enough to be invited to the ball. And then you have Cinderella, who represents the poor, um, who's been kind of stomped down under the heel of the boot of the evil stepmother the, who's the upper middle class and if you read into Cinderella just a little bit I mean it's pretty much on the surface you, you can see that it's really about class at the end of the day I mean yes it's a fairy tale yes it's like princes and princesses and every I little mean, girl's dream it's also about pumpkins yeah and a fairy godmother just, what does just, she just represent just to be clear this is amazing that you chose Cinderella <laughs> and you just made all of it make sense. And I know Ryan, knowing the movies he picks, is like, oh my God, Cinderella. And it was perfectly laid out, dude. That was awesome. Well, that thank was fantastic. You. Hey, I've been doing this a while, Frank. That's good, man. All right, Ryan, what do you got there? All right. I went with a documentary at number five. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> I, I really hope it's not the one I'm thinking of because I have it way higher. That's excellent. It probably is. Probably. Uh, this you, is, uh, came out in 2012. So far, yes. Yeah? Yeah. This is The Queen of Versailles. Yeah, at number five, Ryan? Yes. One well, of the best movies about real-life money, maybe ever. <laughs> wow. So Queen, Queen of Versailles follows uh, David Siegel and his family as they were building the largest single-family home in the United States. Right. And it was just outside of Orlando, Florida. And he, in turn, made all of his money from resorts and timeshares so he would build these the timeshare king yeah. right he would build these resorts and timeshares and was profiting you know hand over fist right. and then the housing collapse happened the recession happened right in the middle of when he was trying to build the largest house ever built and we then get this film crew that comes in and makes this documentary and what you see is them a rich people problems 
to begin with, right? Like, how are they going to finish this house? Is it ever going to be done? But it, it slowly turns into even more than that. You, you actually start to feel compassion for them. Empathy. Right. Empathy for exactly what, what's happened here. And, and it's, a, it's a, also a, a commentary on just how much of a swing you can have with a, a capitalism um, you know, society that we have here, that capitalism can go this way and it can go that way. And as is, is fortunate as somebody is, it can really Fortune's turn. Fortune's turn, yeah. Right. And it's such a fascinating look at the whole thing. It doesn't, at first when you're watching this movie, you think you're going to be watching the Real Housewives in a way. Right, like it some, could, some, some vapid puff piece. Could have been played like that, but it is not at all. It really turns into something so much more deeper, so much more layers into exactly the class system, the fall from grace, everything. Right, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's good because it, it, it examines their marriage, it examines their family, but most of all it examines her, this Queen of Versailles, who, well, first of all, they named the house... The House of Versailles. Versailles, right, which is yeah. very... That is right on the nose. Yeah. But she morphs from that, uh, you know, Jersey Shore, Real Housewives type character into this person you deeply care about. Even though she's this uber rich woman, you, you're still like feeling for her problems and sort of feeling bad that suddenly she has to fly commercial when she's always been on a private jet. You know, mm-hmm. it's a great movie. It is. If you haven't seen it, Jawhead, Queen of Versailles came out in 2012. Well worth a spin into our four as we go, Frank. I'm over here in real time looking on Netflix and Amazon trying to find <laughs> it, but it doesn't seem to be out there. So Throw so it in the fish tank. See, if, see where we can find fish the streaming. Tank. Yep. Fish tank request. I want to find that. That, looks, that sounds amazing. It is really a good documentary. Uh, my number four is a film that I've been a big fan for a long time, and it was uh, an actor that at that time I don't think was as famous as he is now, but it's the talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, nice yes. Matt this, Damon. Uh, We're big fans of this one. It's uh, obviously a, a psychological thriller with all those things, but his, you know, him killing that character and then taking on the persona and wanting to be in that world and then taking on all the, all the intricacies of it all and never being at that class and that level, I, I'm just a big, big fan of it. I still love it. If it's on, I'll watch it no matter what. I'll sit down and watch it in real time. I thought all the performances were amazing, too. Oh, amazing. He has just about all of them fooled except for Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he gets him with that bust of Beethoven, man, that's <laughs> that's a, such a great scene. But looking back now at the cast of, of Matt Damon, Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. and Kate Blanchett pops up in there as the uh, girl that she uh, sees, not actually, yeah, Tom Ripley. She actually sees Tom Ripley at like the opera and, you know, great, yeah. great cast. It is. Great movie. Good pick. Thank you. All right, swings it to me, and when you talk about money and the pursuit of money and why people pursue money, I think it has to be in the top three reasons, maybe even number one, and it's sex, right? Mm. Uh, you had to go there, man. At our core. had to make this podcast dirty. At our core, the drive to reproduce is so overwhelming <laughs> that really the pursuit of power and all these other things are just a, a means to an end for more sex. And I don't think any movie captured that quite as well as 1993's Indecent Proposal. You went Oof. there. You yeah. went there. He did. It's this, the amorality of, of wealth and money and this, power. I, I don't know how many Razzie Awards this one won. But <laughs> really? Yeah. This was, this was panned. Hmm. Yeah. And this is a rough one, too. I yeah, mean, it's painful. Yeah. And now, really, guys? Yeah, yeah. And exactly what it has to say about like. Phil's nodding in the booth. I yeah. see his head wagon peripherally. I, I mean, the, the, the like whole that thing. Like that it's painful or. Okay, good. Plus, the, the whole idea of where 
women and play in the relationship, the way it yeah. talked down towards it. I, oh, the whole yeah. thing's just I'm not saying I agree. Bad. I'm not saying I agree. I think when you're talking about movies about wealthy people, yeah. that this one needs to be on the list because of, of the premise of the movie. Plus, I mean, Robert Redford... Uh, notwithstanding, is is definitely it and to me more on a book, and I know the book got high praise, but I think the movie, I, if I'm correct, maybe throw it in the fish tank, Phil. I, I remember it being one of like the worst reviewed films that year. It does speak though to what people who have more than enough money can think, how they can think. True, they're like, why can't I go to another country, or why can't I buy this building, or why can't I buy this restaurant, or why can't I buy your wife? Right, right. Like, you'll never have a chance to have a million dollars in cash. So what's up mm-hmm. you know all of a sudden you ponder your existence and your worth yeah it's painful mm. i i guess the movie isn't as well received as i as i thought it might be but i think that that concept is why i think it needed to be on this list I, there you go. i'm not gonna lie i considered it i looked it up and i i, I sort of remembered watching it but it popped into my head when we were talking about it's a noteworthy movie rich, so yeah. uh for my number four rather recent film 2017 christopher Plummer replaces Kevin Spacey last minute type deal here Kevin Spacey already shoots the film uh all, crazy you know all the stuff comes out about Kevin Spacey they decide Ridley Scott decides to recast um the role with Christopher Plummer I'm speaking of all the money in the world still haven't seen it me neither and Plummer ends up getting nominated for an Academy Award for the performance. 88, some odd years old. Incredible. Also in the movie is Michelle Williams and Mark Wahlberg. Right. uh, Based on the true story of Paul Getty's grandson. uh, At the time, Paul Getty was known as the richest man in the world. And guys come up with this idea of literally kidnapping his grandson and then trying to get ransom money from Getty. But... I don't know. He was just wasn't very trustworthy about his money going anywhere, even within the family. So he's not willing, you know, to give up whatever it is, a million dollars to get his grandson back, even though that is literally pocket change to the guy. He He's not going to break down and give the the ransom money. And family drama ensues. Because you would you think got, so, yeah. yeah. One would imagine. <laughs> you got uh, Michelle Williams. Be weird. Michelle Williams, who who married into the family, and it's great, you know. And they, they hire Mark Wahlberg, and he's involved. It's it's a pretty deep drama. It's and, a good one. And then they hunt down Michelle Williams with crossbows. <laughs> How do you expect me to use this thing? I have to see it. If you, it was good. yes, you all the it. money in the world worth a spin. Would would I say it's like absolutely fabulous? No, but when you're talking about wealth and in, in, in a top five list like this, has to be noted. Wow. So, that was my number four. Into our threes we go. All right. Listen, I'm not going to take a lot of time on number three. Okay, and here's why. As a filmmaker, I, I'm constantly you know second guessing myself because you know you're never going to be perfect and you strive for the best. But I always had this thing I fell back on, which was I don't have to make the perfect movie because the perfect movie was already made by a kid who went to Hollywood who knew no one, and it was Citizen Kane done by you wow. know, the great of the greats. So, I, I mean, it's obviously a movie about a rich person. It's obviously a movie about wealth and all those things and what it means to us, but it's been called by what? AFI, you know, he Orson Welles came out and was this young upstart who wrote, directed, you know, did all these things, and it, it, it is a- Starred. Fan, it's a, yeah, it's a fantastic movie on its own. I didn't put it at number one because I've got a couple other personal favorites, mm-hmm. but it's it's if anybody hasn't seen it, you need to see it and just understand the undertaking that it was and how it's ridiculous that that young of an age, he made yeah. such an amazing movie. I mean, it's the Citizen Kane of movies. Oh, man. 
<laughs> but you, for all those filmmakers out there, you don't have to make the greatest film of all right. time. It's already been made. You're never going to be younger than him. You're never going to be able to star in it now in this day and age. And you're never going to be able to direct it at the same time. And it's never going to be that good. Well, never say never, Frank. Oh, my God. Please. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it was the, it was the perfect trifecta, quadfecta. Mm. I, I mean, and it's, and, and it's a great film. Love when Assistant yeah, Kane comes up on a top five and it's only at number three and on, it fits on a in, cinema jaw list. And yeah. it fits in perfectly. Love it. Yeah. You couldn't not have Citizen Kane no, somewhere on this list. And, and I'm, I'm going to sort of back that up, bookend it almost. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that this film is perfect, but it is largely considered one of the best films of all time. Um, certainly one of the best from the 60s. I think we can all agree on this. Uh, and I'm talking about Truman Capote's written uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm. You guys have seen this, yes? Yes. yes. So just a gorgeous movie. Audrey wow. Hepburn. Yeah, okay. thank you. Sort of put her on the map for me. I, I think I saw this movie when I was like 9 or 10 at my grandma's house or something. And one of the movies that opened my eyes to cinema mm. and, and what it can look like because... You know, movies at my grandma's were usually in black and white, but this one is so colorful and just pops. It's a great movie. Iconic. Yeah, I haven't seen it in the longest time, and I've been wanting to watch it again, so having it come up on the list. I've been watching I'll old black and white movies recently. I just watched Captain Blood mm. with my son. Errol Flynn is the star. Oh, Errol Flynn, yeah, yeah. And it was like, the, it was, you could see it was the basis for Pirates of the Caribbean, the ride, because it was all about pirates. But just those movies, all in those genres at that time, you got to go back. And like watch, they're, they're just amazing. Yeah. I think you do, yeah, definitely. Yep. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Nice pick. I, I went with a small, uh, what I'm calling a, a hidden gem here of a film. It came out in 2017. The name of the film is called Thoroughbreds. It's described as, get this, Matt, American Psycho meets Heather's. Oh, I remember right. the trailer How have I this? not seen this one? Yeah, it was an awesome trailer. Yeah, Cut so, well. so you got uh, two teenage girls, uh, Amanda and Lily, and... They, they knew each other as kids, and they're reunited as uh, teens, like in high school. And Lily's mom is married to an extremely wealthy guy that turns out to be abusive, both to his mom and to her. And this Amanda, who we had first saw in the movie, um, she has some, some issues of her own. She comes over and actually suggests to Lily, hey, did you ever think about killing your dad? And you got these like rich girls, you know, and the rich dad, and all of a sudden they're in this big house and they're saying, why don't we try to knock this guy off? Also in this movie is um, Anton Yelchin, mm -hmm. who plays a drug dealer who they recruit to try to help kill the father. And uh, I don't want to give everything away. All hell sort of starts to break loose. It's a fun little plot, really tight little movie that's just a, a fun watch thoroughbreds i don't think enough people have seen it I, I hadn't seen it so yeah i knew of it didn't catch it when it was in theaters but it's it's out on uh see if it's streaming anywhere phil i know i, I rented it on dvd on the red box i believe when it came out but i'm sure it's even on the streamers now so love it that was my number three thoroughbreds into our twos we go this is one of my top 25 films of all time. Oh, wow. Higher yeah. than Citizen Kane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Michael Douglas, Sean Penn. It's The Game. David, directed by David Fincher. Just rewatched it. It's so good, still to this day. It's so complex with so many layers, but it, it talks about that struggle or strife of, of within families in a great way, what money does and how it affects everybody, you know, the perception. So, and then it's all challenged. It's all destroyed, all taken away. And then you find out that it's all part of a, 
holistic, emotional, spiritual cleanse in the greatest possible way. Movie was, you know, I remember seeing it in the theater at the time. Still, if I'll watch it over and over again. There's not a bad scene in it, in my opinion. It, it seemed to have come out at the time where, where the ending twist was extremely popular in, in Hollywood. So you get like, you don't know exactly what's going on. It's a aha, we got you kind of movie. I rewatched it and yeah, th- some of the themes in the movie, I don't think I caught way back when I was watching it a- as, a, as a younger Ride the Movie guy. I didn't pick up on it. But you're right. It's all right there, all about, you know, the Were, way did, people... Did you go by Rye the Movie Lad back then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> about the way people even respect people and yeah. treat people differently when they have money. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I've watched it so many times. I go back and try to, you know, if anybody, spoiler alert, there's these... these ploys or plots and all these things i'm trying to look for the plausible deniability that it was all a true setup mm-hmm. like how could you have squibs in all those doors and all that glass when those <laughs> guns were going off and they were shooting at them and they're supposed to be blanks it's it's hard if you go back and watch it some of it's believable some mm-hmm. of it's like there's no possible way mm-hmm. that they would have known they ran that direction right like a final line like well if you didn't you know go to this part where there's this opening on the on the edge of the building and not was supposed to push you and then how's he supposed to fall perfectly but <laughs> I don't care at that point because it's Still just fun. such a good movie. <laughs> nice pick. Yeah. The game. All right. At number two, I actually had Queen of Versailles at this because it deserves to be much higher than a number four where you had it, Ryan. Mm. Was it four? Uh, five, men. Oh, my God. That's a travesty. But I'll throw in a quick audible. Wolf of Wall Street absolutely mm. belongs on this list. Um, the best line in the movie comes very early. Uh, Leo DiCaprio's character, uh, Jordan Belfort, says, uh, I made $51, th- uh, $51 million last year, which really pissed me off because it was just shy of a million dollars a week, you know? <laughs> if that's your biggest problem, and, and you believe that he was really pissed off that he, he missed a million dollars a week, you, you know? know? the scene in the diner with Jonah Hill? You show me, you show me a pay stub right now. <laughs> you made, you made $57,000 last month. I quit my job right now. Yeah. It was great. Love it. Good pick, Matt. And then they go and smoke crack in the <laughs> phone booth in the back. Yeah. My number two um, could have been my number one, but I haven't seen it in so long um, that as a refresher, I left it at number two. But I love this movie, and they've remade it recently. It came out the original in 1981. It starred Dudley Moore. Yeah. And it's the only Dudley Moore movie I You're think You're not going with the Russell Brand remake here? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm speaking of Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, do you know any other Dudley Moore movie like right off the top of your head? I can't think of any. But boy, you hear Dudley Moore, you think Arthur, right? Uh, yeah. I, I, there was a couple others, I think, but I just can't think of them and right now. He no. plays Arthur Bach, who's this drunk millionaire who lives in New York, who is uh, set to get like his full inheritance um, from his whole family if he marries his father's business partner's daughter, who's also like an upper class uh, woman, hey, you guys get married and you'll get the full inheritance. But he ends up seeing this uh, woman stealing a necklace who the woman is actually played by Liza Minnelli. Mm-hmm. Wow. And he ends up falling in love with Liza Minnelli. And now he's got this conflict. Does he go for you know someone who he actually truly loves or does he just go after the money? What wins here, Matt? Love or money? Alcohol. <laughs> in, in this case, probably does. If you get caught between the moon and New York City, I mean, what are you going to do? What's the one that Michael Caine does where he's the alcoholic? 
I don't know. Oh, yes. Can we throw that in the job box? Alfie. Was that in Alfie? I got it. Alfie. Alfie, you're right. And they also remade that with Jude Law. Yeah, not not wholly dissimilar from Arthur, right? Is no. it? it? It's very similar. He's more of a playboy in Elfie, where where Arthur's more between these two women. But they're both drunk British guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. That was my number two, Arthur, with names that start with A. Mm. Indoor ones we go. All right. Our number one movie about the wealthy here. What do we got? Uh, I've got at number one, The Aviator. Yeah, I think it's an epic. I think it's a, a huge saga of a life tale of Howard Hughes. It talks about what money can do, how he led such a private life, and then what it was, and then it also his interaction with all these other celebrities, and then the government and things. And it reminds me of Elon Musk's struggle with Tesla, trying to push this new product, or Tucker's you know struggle trying to push his car out. Here he was trying to get into the airline industry, and just what it you know you, just because you have a ton of money. It doesn't mean that they're going to let you in to these private clubs. Mm-hmm. So I thought his performance was one of his best. I think there are some amazing moments in there of struggle with obsessive compulsive disorder or different mental disorder. But uh, great sets, great directing. The scene where the test plane crashes into the neighborhood in the Hollywood oh, Hills. It's a great scene. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I love that movie. No argument there. Yeah. I thought that would come up on we, the list. We, we just talked about it recently. We were doing Kate mm-hmm. Blanchett scenes. Mm. And uh, her as uh, Catherine Hepburn. Was, was fantastic. Great, great performance. Yep. All right. Uh, at number one, we, we talked about perfect movies earlier. And th- this, is, this is one I think is a perfect genre movie. Certainly one of the best comedies of all time. I think, I hope we would all agree on this. It has to do with uh, money. It is a spiritual prequel to Coming to America, talking about trading places. Yes. Uh, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy at their absolute best. Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah. And Jamie Lee Curtis pops up in, in this as well in, in what is a pretty large role. Yeah. And, man, it, it's... And a, there's a guy in a gorilla suit. Yes. There is a guy in a gorilla yes. suit. Was that Al Franken in the gorilla suit? No. Yeah, yeah dude. Yeah, Al was Franken. It really? And I think it was him and uh, the other Belushi brother. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Son of a gun. Hey, uh, let's get verification on that, Phil. Let's throw it in the, in the fish tank. But uh, the, the reason Trading Places is about the wealthy and the 1%, these Mortimer, this Mortimer and Randolph, who are at the, the, the top of some, some stock hedge fund type thing. In the farming industry. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. They're, they're betting on pork bellies and futures and things like Soybeans. this. Right. It's completely boring to them. So what do they do to sort of spice things up, make it interesting? Well, they bet on human suffering and lives. Because and, and, what else would you do? So they take somebody who is uh, completely rich and wealthy and well-to-do Dan and, character. and destroy him mm-hmm. and send him to the gutter. They bring uh, this very unlikely guy from, from the inner city up and elevate him to the status of, of the ultra-rich and they watch the human behavior. I can't remember what the actual bet was. but One dollar. No, I know oh, the oh, amount was one dollar, but what was the actual stake? Uh, or I think the, that they could change their positions. They could move Eddie Murphy to the Dan Aykroyd level, and they could make Dan Aykroyd be at the Eddie Murphy level. Yeah, that they could make one super rich and wealthy and, and be in that world. Like, would, and it, the would other it just one work? Was that the uh, the bet? Like, would yeah, it just work? I think that was that when they could get the true dichotomy to switch between the two of them. I think it was the it was whole all for one dollar. Right, mm-hmm. all for one dollar. So it's really great in coming to America when they they pass two bums on the street yes. and it happens to be these two characters and they uh, Eddie Murphy's character gives them a big bag of money and they're like, We're back <laughs> So Yeah. It's a good little one two punch there. 
I love it. Nice pick at number one. For me, I went with a, a 2005 uh, Woody Allen movie. And this was when Woody Allen had, had a streak of tons of misses. And I think a lot of people thought he might be done. But he came back strong with this movie that starred Scarlett Johansson, Jonathan Reese Myers, Matthew Good. I'm speaking of Matchpoint. Mm. And this was a drama, a thriller of sorts where... If it's I tell ten, you the tennis movie, yes, the tennis movie, where I tell you the premise, it seems on paper it, it, there's not a whole lot there, but uh, in the hands of Woody Allen, he crafts a, a really good thriller here. Uh, Jonathan Reese Myers plays a tennis coach. He's you know more on the poor side, but he's working at a place that is coaching the very wealthy who want to get tennis lessons. Um, Matthew Good being one of those, and he says, hey, I'll hook you up with my sister. I think you'd be a good match with her. And he starts hitting it off with his sister, and wow. It's I a mean, lot of tennis puns there. His, yeah, his, whole, his whole life, though, could be made for him, right, because he starts to fall in love, and he's has the chance to enter this very wealthy family, marry into it. He goes to a family party in this huge mansion, where um, the, all this, this elite family lives, and he meets Matthew Good's um, bride-to-be, who's played by Scarlett Johansson, who's an American, also going to be marrying into the family. And these two actually fall for each other and could really sort of ruin their own lives as far as the, the stakes go, as far as, you know. That is so Woody Allen. That is so Woody Allen. I've never seen this one. It's so good. Huh. And it, it becomes a thriller because, of course, they do get involved. Can they keep it from these people? What's going on? And um, Sounds more drama. Where's the? Th- oh, it's there's no comedy. It's a straight up drama. But there's a there's a police element to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sort of a detective thing. Yep. There's foul play. Right. Oh, stuff. there is foul play. Right. Yeah. There is. There's foul play, and then I remember. and then it comes down to over the line. Well, the I, idea of match point being, you know, sometimes it does come down to luck, the way the ball falls on the tennis court, and he plays with that a little bit at the end with a, a, a character throwing a, a piece of jewelry. And if it went one way, probably something else happens to this character. You know, it's, it's it. interesting. Hmm. If you have not seen Match Point, well worth a spin. It really is. It's good. Yep. Any more honorables? Honorable mentions really quick. How don't we mention Brewster's Millions? Yeah, we're, we're doing you a show have to mention about Brewster's the, Millions. the millionaires. Remember that the we, iceberg? We mentioned Brewster's Millions. No, so I don't remember the, the. Yeah, the, the guy's trying to sell him the iceberg mm-hmm. thing, and he was like this, and he put the iceberg in there, and then it's like, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to ship it across, and we're going to move it over, and he's like, this is the worst idea ever, and then it turns out to make a bunch of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Great Gatsby. Yeah, yeah I never, I've never seen the original. I only saw the the Baz Luhrmann remake. But Baz's is so good. It's it's a beautiful looking film, that's for sure. Crazy Rich Asians came yeah. out uh, yeah. last year and should be noted. Yeah. Had fun with it. And Pretty Woman to some degree. Yeah, it's Cinderella, by right. the way. Sort of. Yeah. Ooh, full circle. Yep. Uh, I had Death Becomes Her. I don't know. It's not very much about rich people, but yes. it's in there a little bit. It's a great yeah. movie though. It's a great movie. Uh, that is horror comedy. Uh, War of the Roses, eh, that's Another it. stretch. That went over like a lead balloon. Fantastic. How about you, Frank? Pick <laughs> this thing up for me. No, I mean, I, 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 you've named a whole bunch of them. I, yep. I do appreciate the grace, though, in throwing a television series in there. No, you got it, man. All appreciate right. It. If we missed your favorite movie about the wealthy and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet at CinemaJaw or an email, feedback at CinemaJaw.com. What we're going to do is take a break. When we come back, Frank is taking Matt on in Morgan Freeman cast movie trivia, plus a look at some big Hollywood headlines going around. Huge. Everything from The Matrix to Spider-Man we got to talk about. Stick with us. 
Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all and now, in honor of Cinema Jaws Morgan Freeman Month, we learn a thing or two about life with this clip from March of the Penguins. From now on, the couple has but a single goal, keeping their egg alive. The hungry mother must return at once to the sea to eat. But before she leaves, she must entrust the egg to its father. Some, young couples perhaps, are too impulsive or rushed. And within moments, their affair comes to an end. They can only watch as the ice claims their egg and the life within it. Hey Jawheads, it's Matt K with a quick reminder of this month's riddle. Here we go. I am afraid, very afraid, not of roller coasters, I used to work at an amusement park, and not of skeletons either, I made a movie in their name. Falling food from the sky? Now that is scary. Now let me bust this high school party and take all their gold slick vodka. Who am I? If you think you know the answer, write us, DM us, send us smoke signals, get in touch on the socials with the correct answer, and you will be entered to win a Fandango gift card or the honor of taking me on in trivia. Good luck, Jawheads. And we are back on Cinema Jaw, hanging out with Frank Tiziti. His new project is entitled Cora. I got to look at uh, some of the the artwork. Our and mood boards. The, oh, is that what they're called? Yeah, our pitch package. It's pretty cool. Um, so, so on those, it's got to look flashy when you're going to make a pitch. Yeah. Right. It's got to look sharp. It's got to look. So, how long does like a pitch board? take to come up with how much time and effort is put into that easily for the last year i've been sort of working on concept art doing a whole bunch of sketches too after i'll show you guys some of the sort of drawings that we've done to sort of tell the story but just background wallpapers concept art branding logos that i learned a lot from black is that a part of that if you can package it up in a way that they can imagine and see so much so down to if they somebody were to open on Netflix, your little square, your one still, when they went in, what would that background look like? What would the music look like? What would the fonts be? What would the theme of it be? So as much as you can brand your project from the get-go, it feels like an intellectual property. Stranger Things is a great example. Just the font, just the credits. Is it, that alone branded yeah. that project so in a way that you could watch it in, and in understand way, what it me, what it was, what yeah. it meant, everything. That John Carpenter font, the look and right. feel of it. In a way, Frank, you're you're making it easier for these executives to pick your project because they don't have to come up with all that. You've already done it for them, and they're seeing your vision, right? They, yeah, they want to know at least you've got a game plan. So we hope we do. Hopefully, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, for the Jawheads that want to check out the project online, it has a website up. Yeah, currently it's thecoreproject.com. That's just a holding homepage. We're going to add a whole bunch of stuff, but it'll be kickstarter.com forward slash thecoreproject. 
So hopefully in the next couple of months, you'll see it out there. And again, grateful to everybody in the jaw who checks us out always. Quick question. I forget. I'm sure I've asked you this before on Cinema Jaw, but what does the T stand for? Tyrone. Tyrone. Yeah, my mother was a big fan of Tyrone Power, Mm -hmm. who's an actor, I don't know, back in the 40s or something. But yeah, I'm this six foot four tall white guy. Got the coolest middle name ever. There it is. Tyrone. There you go, man. (laughs) That's me. Uh, Speaking of cool, right? We threw a bunch of items into the fish tank and cool phil talk about a cool dude he wants to swim up to the top let's open up that fish tank wait a moment it's fish isn't it dc wake up wake up it's a notepad it's a giant glass bowl hey get some fish folk who's coming with me besides flipper here that's a message it means luca he sleeps with the fishes you're going to need a bigger boat. Wow, thank you guys so much. Uh, I don't think I've ever been called cool by someone other yeah, than myself before. Usually, usually you're very, like, uh, no, I think no, he meant no. temperature. <laughs> <laughs> right, like there's a lot of water. It's pretty cold. <laughs> cold is what you were going for there. <clears throat> Uh, well, we do. We, we have a lot of stuff in here, so I'm going to get right to it. Uh, is there an audiobook from Morgan Freeman's cookbook? There is not an audiobook. And not only is there not an audiobook, there's not even a paperback. Oh. I checked Amazon, Barnes & Noble, eBay, everywhere. The only way you can get this book is in a hardcover. Outrageous. Well, it is, terrible. It is a charity book. And the proceeds do go to to charity. Still terrible. I want my audio book. Outrageous. Yes. Even like a YouTube video where he's like in the kitchen. That would be the best. You want to take some Creole spices <laughs> <laughs> and add it to the saucier. <laughs> Maybe God, we should really just w- get Frank to make them. I, I really want to hear that. More. I might. We, we might hire that Morgan Freeman impersonator <laughs> back. Got to broil the fish. <laughs> Um, uh, the next one, what does DARPA stand for? Frank, what was what was your answer? Development Advanced Research Projects Agency. So close. So it's defense, defense research. But right on, I mean, I, I couldn't BS any of that. So I, <laughs> <laughs> give, it a time, give it time, man. Give it time. <laughs> Try it out. <laughs> um, what was uh, or the, the man in the arena speech? Uh, it was indeed Teddy Roosevelt. Again, Frank, he, he does his research. He knows everything. Uh, and it reads, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong man stumbles uh, or how the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who actually is in the arena, whose face is marred with dust, sweat, and blood. Our next one is Queen of Versailles streaming. This is a great one for me because every time we get a streaming question, there's a little bit of pressure, and I feel like I have to bear some bad news. This week, I have absolutely no bad news whatsoever because Queen of Versailles is available on the most accessible streaming vehicle possible. It is for free on YouTube. All right. So Wow. Bingo. Done. And I, I sent Matt the link. It is not a bootleg. It is official, so you're getting the, the best quality possible. Excellent. Uh, and, and that'll be out there in our show notes so everybody can see it. Wow, so awesome. satisfying. Check that one out. I now get to follow it up with some bad news. Mm. Uh, it's Thoroughbreds streaming, and it is. It is, uh, but it is only streaming on HBO Go, which is one of the harder ones that a lot of people don't have. Uh, you can rent it, but it's a pretty pricey rental. It'll be about $9 for rental on Amazon. So mm. uh, if you have Bummer. HBO Go, you are absolutely in luck on that one. There Cha-ching. we go. Thoroughbreds. Check that oh, one you out. you got to share the password here. <laughs> All right, my friend. <laughs> was that everything, Phil? We got one more. One last one. Uh, who was in the gorilla suit in Trading Places? Matt, who did you say it was? Al Franken. It was Paul Gleason. Ah, 
Who the hell is Paul Gleason? I knew it. Paul Gleason (laughs) is known for his roles in the television series All My Children and films like The Breakfast Club and Die Hard. Who he was in those, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, he's he's very prolific. His, I knew his it. IMDb goes on, but I knew Matt was wrong on that. He was also in Arthur, which came up tonight. I just want to know who he was in the Breakfast Club. Oh, it's the principal. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. Yeah, okay, that guy. Not no. Al Franken, but oh, Al Franken right, has right, been right. in a gorilla suit. All right, no, yes. So Al Franken was the dude working the freight on the train. Oh, that's uh, okay. Him, he interacts with the he gorilla. He interacts with the gorilla and gives him the thing. He's not the oh. dude super glued in the actual gorilla suit. Okay. But I, I dollars to donuts, he's the freight worker on the train. That's right. And fair. he's drunk. <laughs> or high. Yes. Or both. Or both. Because that's, that's it right there. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the real-time Google. Quality. There he is. And that's Franken. He's that's doing awesome. the fake monkey thing, trying to talk about the mating process. <laughs> Good times. Was that everything, Phil? That is all we got. Uh, one small note. Last week, we have a, a, a correction. We were talking about the usual suspects. Mm-hmm. And the guest, Ryan Ostrike, had said... David Fincher had directed it, and we heard from quite a few jawheads that we were wrong on that, that it is Brian Singer, and uh, just pass that along. Yes, it was the, brought up. We didn't they correct They do have a Ryan. similar tone in their filmography. Mm, that's, eh, maybe, I don't know. David, Definitely different. Some, somewhere somewhat David somewhat Fincher similar. just passed out that you compared <laughs> Brian Singer to I his know. films. I know. Let's, let's, similar let's in tone, real. I said. Let's be real here, Matt. But... Um, we, we, we realize every once in a while something gets said. We don't correct it. We miss it. We're talking about other things. So Good transparency. Hmm. There you go. That was everything, right, Phil? That is all. All right. Jump back in there. Will do. Usually this brings us to Cinema War, Matt, but instead, trying something new. Hollywood headlines. Love it. Yes. Yes, for our first headline, Matrix 4 announced with Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, and Lana Wachowski. There were a lot of rumors going around that The Matrix, in some form, was coming back. I had heard prequels. I had heard Michael B. Jordan was attached. Uh, all kinds of things were swirling around here for a while. So for this headline to come out, that we have basically a continuation of the characters we know, pretty excited. I, I could use another Matrix. Yes, I'm, I'm excited for that. I was never happy on the way it, the third one ended. Oh, no. And I'm not sold on everything that the Wachowskis have done ever even since the Matrix. So Speed Racer notwithstanding, because that was a masterpiece. But, right, but going back what to... What did you just say? I just said Speed He's Racer. Joking. He's I'm not joking. joking. I not no. ironically love Speed Racer. It's but visually stunning. Going back into the, the hole here for the Matrix with the Wachowskis, I, I think is a good thing. What do you guys... Well, we are in the midst of a Keanu-sance. Are, are we not? We are. Um, and it's pretty huge. I mean, everybody loves him. He's breathtaking. Yes. So... I guess I'm ready in that regard. Carrie Ann Moss, she she was in the Matrix and and Memento, to be fair. Yep. But not much else, so that doesn't get me that excited. And I'm really worried because you're right, Ryan. As much potential as the Wachowskis had, I don't want to say they squandered it, but they have yet to deliver upon that potential that the Matrix, really the Matrix, just the first one gave us. Uh, so I am really worried. And isn't Keanu dead? What what is going on? Right, the on? one. Yeah, he digitally ascended to some other thing, and then his body's dead. So oh, maybe I, it's I, like I, Lucy, I'm, and he's the computer I, now. I guess. Uh, 
Yeah, but if Jupiter ascending and Sense8 are any indication, it's going to be incredibly heady. Oh, oh, you know, and, and it's kind of, you just look at the flow, Matrix then to Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions. It got weirder and weirder. Diminishing returns. Yeah. And I mean, the Matrix on its own was was a zeitgeist. It was at a moment where Die Hard and Predator and Jean-Claude Van Damme movies were all the rage in those 90s in that time. And everyone was tired of it. And here came this movie that said, we're going to go into a world of of make-believe, you know, alternate reality, but it's a video game where anything and everything is possible. So now when you got counted doing backlists up the walls and, you know, destroying things and doing, you know, flying through the air, we were like, oh, I fully embrace it. Mm -hmm. It was one of the first movies to ever do that. So I I remember specifically seeing it in L.A. when it came out, and nobody knew what it was. I don't know if you remember. I remember. I was confused. I was like, what is this? Well, the poster was out, and there wasn't a big trailer for it, and you didn't really... And I remember going to it saying, oh, I don't know what it is, but I'll check it out. And I walked out going... That was one of the, the best action movies I've ever seen in my life. I agree. I remember being blown away. Same. I went in yeah. with such little expectation. I was like, well, Keanu Reeves, who at the time especially was like, eh, I mean, it's uh, maybe he could do something yeah, good. Yeah, we still kind of loved him from Point Break. Right. And, but know. was not expecting anything. And I remember seeing the bullet time for the first time and I'm like feeling my jaw open. Like I've never seen anything like this before. It was but Morpheus, awesome. man. And, and the guy who uh, I'm going to probably say it wrong. Hugo Weaving. Who's yeah. The, no, it's yeah. Hugo Weaving. Hugo the, the, who, who, they were really the characters quick, I love to watch. Really quick. Samara Weaving from Ready or Not. I was going to ask. That, that's uh, his niece. That's his, oh, wow. They are related. Yes. Everything's coming full circle <laughs> on this show, Everything's guys. connecting. Yeah. All righty then. Our second headline, Sony will continue Spider-Man's story without Marvel Studio going forward, which means Spider-Man leaves the MCU. Can I start on this one? I guess. Okay. I had one word to say, but go ahead. So obviously anybody who likes Spider-Man, this is what I wrote down here was this is a quality move here by Sony, and you got to be excited for this because we what? had talked. What the hell are you, what talking, are you about? talking about? We had talked and we, on the show. He's just doing this to piss people no, off. No, we had talked on the show, and I've talked to many of people, and I've seen them ranked. We said, what are the three best standalone Spider-Man movies? And if you look at them, they all happened with Sony's standalone, no help from the MCU. You have Spider-Man 2, you have Into the Spider-Verse, and you have the original Spider-Man. Before Marvel got involved, those are the three best Spider-Mans. Let's get back to that. I'm sick and tired of the uh, you crossover. Think... It's too much no, already. You just Let's don't, get back you to just the Spider-Man. Like this MC is Hobie. a positive. This is a win for everybody who loves Spider-Man, everybody who loves comics. You this think, is a win. You think the Tobey Maguires are the yes. best? We both well, agreed Spider- on this. Spider-Man 2 is a high-quality movie. Yes. Oh, my God. You dis you disagree on that? Okay, wait, wait, okay. wait. I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna this quibble over this the, the, the nitty gritty here. Ryan, you could not be more wrong. Th- that is just a, a total bonehead, a hole thing to say. I Why? Mean, Why? Because you're you're because just baiting. You're no, baiting. I'm not. You don't no, I'm firmly not. believe that in your soul. Why? You're, Sony made the three best Spider-Man movies. Those no. three movies the, are better the highest than no. anything that Listen, Marvel ever got involved. I, I, I know with. it's not all about money, and and artistically, I agree. Those are the three best Spider-Man movies, there in my opinion. Go. I Done. do agree with End that. The wow. argument. Cut it right there, Phil. No, no, Edit no, out no, everything no, no, else. No, 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 no. Done. No. Because they don't get there without Marvel because Marvel created Spider-Man. We're talking okay? about two different and things. the highest grossing Spider-Man movie, the highest, no wait, let me rephrase that. The highest grossing Sony movie of all time is Spider-Man Far From Home. 
So what the hell are they doing pissing off the fans? My one word I was going to say is boycott. And I, oh, I firmly come on. don't, nobody's going to watch it. Venom, seriously, That's all disappointing. I was say. That's it. Disappointing. And Ryan, I know, I know you well enough to know that in your heart right. of hearts, you don't believe that. You're only saying that to be incendiary. We're still, we still got Tom Holland. This is going to be great. Tom Holland's going to walk. He's Seriously, no. he, he would be a fool not to. This is this is great. It would ruin his career, I think. No. No. I think it'll be just God, fine. Crazy. But the yeah, it, it, it Venom is any indication the next Spider-Man that's 100% done by Sony is going to be dog. Why? Like, I didn't say the bad part, but you get what I'm saying. Am I right that Sony did Into the Spider-Verse? Yes. Yes. Why? It was the one, if, if people can they argue. They didn't know it was going to be good. They gave a oh, lot of creative well, freedom to I, some no-name I'm animators. Saying you could at this point make the argument that that's still the best Spider-Man movie. Phil might even say that. Yeah, but tell and me how Sony that, was behind that. So, tell, and Marvel that, had nothing. How does that translate to a live action? It doesn't. And the reason why it works is because it is an anime. And there, there are choices and changes and moments in there that you can't do in real life, mm. actual film. I'm totally and, fine with this. In all fairness, Sony Animation is different than the production studio that made the other ones. And they're also responsible responsible for like the emoji movie even phil's I, not on board with I, this well, man here's what i will say i'm choosing to be more optimistic than you and frank are because i i i do think if there's any superhero in the mcu that can stand alone by himself uh and has enough a rich enough lore to be supported independently without the rest of the mcu it would be spidey and they if are, this, it, I'm again, I'm not saying that this is what I think is going to happen, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that it does. And I, I trust in, in Bob Iger to not sell this property for no good reason. Uh, and and I, I think that maybe they can expand into like even more Spider-Verse stuff and, and explore the many different facets of this character. Well done. I, I'm not, I am not I drinking am not your Kool-Aid, buddy. Thank you. I'm calling I am, it right. I am very skeptical, Ryan, so don't clap for me. Disney, you got all the money in the world. Make this right. Seriously. Make it right. Whatever it's worth. Whatever it's worth. They, they did it with Star Wars. Paid off in droves. Do the exact same thing. Buy it off of Sony's hands. I don't care what it takes. It's the best possible thing you can do. Now that RDJ is done and Iron Man's done. And they set him up as the heart and soul of the Marvel exactly. Cinematic Universe. He's going to take <laughs> the place they're of They're really going to let that go? <laughs> no, yep. they're not. I want to see Tom Holland in five years playing that role, playing a little bit older and playing a little bit more authentic. Right. He's yep. sort of the, the pizza-eating, yep. fat-bellied... Uh, yeah, I want to see him get to that as well. Yep. And it sure as hell ain't going to be with Sony. Seriously, it's going to be terrible, everybody. It's going to be terrible. All righty. Uh, hopefully this last one's a little bit less tumultuous. James Bond 25 has a name. No time to die. I, I mean, I actually think the Daniel Craig uh, titles were all pretty cool. You had the Skyfall, you had yep. Casino Royale. Yep. Spectre even is a pretty cool James Very. Bond title. They broke convention. And then we get this. This almost seems like they're trying to make fun of the other James Bond movies. Like, oh. let's go with the most ridiculous James Bond title you can go with. No time to die. I hate it. Yeah. Well, okay, so find a James Bond movie that doesn't have a title that has to do with life, death, or some form of money. And really... Skyfall. Skyfall. That's about it. <laughs> Skyfall is the best James Bond movie title ever. Because mm -hmm. no, you had no idea what it was about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was a deeper emotional meaning to the story. But you have no idea what any of them are about. I mean, what is like live and let die? What does that even mean, you know? Yeah, but listen, I, it's I, great I, Beatles song. Just seeing Daniel Craig walk in in this thirty second teaser trailer before we saw how bad the font was and how nineteen eighties the font was, I saw the look in Craig's eye and I was like, he's just there for the money. 
It's terrible, man. He mm. he's he said multiple times he wants out. Idris Elba should have been James Bond. It should have happened now, or it should have been a woman. It should have happened immediately. And they don't need to be 007, James Bond. Mm-hmm. It could just be another person in the 00, you know, right. 00 service of Her Majesty's Secret Service. But it should have happened. The genre needed to change. I, what are they going to do that's going to be really better than the the Casino Royale 2 Skyfall package that happened I, there? I think we'll see James Bond actually die. Great. I, I think that's probably, hey, let's give him a good send-off. You are I'm, bonkers, dude. They're not going to kill James yeah, because Bond. There's no time for it. I, 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 I think to slay the golden <laughs> goose. There's no time for it. But I, 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 that's what I think. And then somebody else is going to take over, like Frank was saying, the double O agent of some sort. There'll still be a James Bond character, but I think it goes in a different direction. I've loved Craig, and I loved Ralph you know, Ray Fiennes coming in and all those things, but the ending of Spectre was just weird, mm-hmm. and it just sort of lost it. And now he's going to come back in and try to... And he even said, he's like, I'm done with it. And all yep. of a sudden, there he is, walking into the suit. Wow. Hollywood headlines got us going, huh, man? Love me some Bond. That was they fun. They should sell Bond to Sony. That would solve everything. <laughs> Good times. All right. Brings us to trivia. We got to end on a, a, a fun note here after yeah, getting yeah, our, yeah. Our, our arguments out there. That was good times. We are celebrating Morgan Freeman all month of August. So this week we are playing Morgan Freeman cast movie trivia. Jawheads, it's going to work like this. I'm going to say Morgan Freeman and the rest of the cast and the year of the movie. The contestants, Frank Tizidi and Matt, have to name the film. That's as simple as it goes. Okay. Frank, you're our guest. You get to choose if you go first or let Matt go first. There are steals, and if you get hung up on any of the questions, you get one trip into the fish tank for Phil, me, and Phil. Listen. This is my favorite part of the entire show. And anybody who's ever listened knows you always go first. Question number one. This is a jawhead right here. Yeah. He knows he knows his trivia. Always go first. <laughs> I'm pissed when people don't. Question one over to Frank. Morgan Freeman, Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, 1992. Unforgiven. Classic. One to nothing, Frank. I would have botched that. I would have I would have got a million dollars. What? Baby. I know. I, it doesn't Did come you say million dollar baby? Well, that Freeman might come up Eastwood. Later. Yeah, right, it might. Question two over to Matt K. Matt, Morgan Freeman, Christian Bale, Katie Holmes, Cillian Murphy. This one's tricky it because is. they were all in more than one film together. I think, I think Katie Holmes is the key to, to this. You um, are correct. Katie Holmes was the first... Batman Begins. Well done. Yes. Katie Holmes was the, the key to that one. You found the cipher. Figuring it out. I yep. did. You found the cipher. It is one-to-one. Question three bounces back over to Frank. Frank, Morgan Freeman, Jessica Tandy, Dan Aykroyd, 1989. Oh. Man. Dan Aykroyd and Morgan Freeman and Jessica Tandy. I'm going, I'm, I'm going early to the fish tank, but I have no clue. So oh, into the fish tank we go. Phil, what was the name of that Morgan Freeman, Jessica Tandy, Dan Aykroyd film? All righty, Frank. I'm hoping that this clue can drive you to the answer. Oh, Driving Miss Daisy. Man, Forgot I blanked, Aykroyd? I blanked on Tandy. Wow. I, I, I don't Tandy. know if I've ever actually seen that mm. movie. How many Jessica Tandy movies can you name? <laughs> right. Well, I had, I had Jessica, the other Jessica in my mind. Mm. But anyways, it doesn't make a difference. Moving Two to on. one, yes. He got Two the to answer, one. yeah. Got it there. Two to one, question four over to Matt K. Matt, Morgan Freeman, Jesse Eisenberg, Woody Harrelson, Isla Fisher, 
Mark Ruffalo, 2013. Now you see me. Wow. Everybody well perfect. Yeah. Wow. This is this is tense. Question five bounces back over to Frank. Frank, Morgan Freeman, Casey Affleck, Michelle M- Monaghan, Ed Harris, Amy Ryan. What year was it? 2007. Casey Affleck, Michelle Monaghan. Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Amy Ryan, I, I Morgan am, Freeman, 2007. I have no idea. No idea. No idea is incorrect, but it does sound <laughs> like a James Bond title. No idea. <laughs> James no Bond idea to die. Yeah. No idea to die. Matt, you got to guess on this one. Casey Affleck, uh-huh. Michelle Monaghan, Ed Harris, Amy Ryan, Morgan Freeman. The year was 2007. I don't. I don't. Uh, so, okay, it wasn't a deep impact, right? Um, that's a 90s movie. So it's, it's like one of those pieces of crud that Freeman does from time to time. Um, I'm going to take a stab at this and say Olympus has fallen. Incorrect. We're looking for Gone Baby Gone. Yeah, I, I was going to say Mystic River, but mm. I knew it was something along those lines. Well, Gone Baby Gone is actually a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Gone Baby Gone. It's still two to two, and question six now goes over to Matt K. <sighs> he has his lifeline. Frank does not. Matt, question six to you. Morgan Freeman, Denzel Washington, Matthew Broderick, 1989. What? What? Oh, Glory. Well done. Wow. Big, big. Three to two, Matt. Question seven over to Frank. Frank, you got to tie it up right here. Okay. Morgan Freeman, Dustin Hoffman, Rene Russo, Kevin Spacey, 1995. Outbreak. Wow. Wow, that was impressive. That was. <laughs> yeah. It was the Rene Russo that broke it wide <laughs> Unreal. open. Unreal. He ties it up 3-3, last question of the game, over to Matt Kay, has his lifeline. This is big, Matt, for all the marbles. Morgan Freeman, Kevin Costner, Alan Rickman, Christian Slater, Oh, come on. I mean, geez, man, I don't even need the lifeline here. Yeah. Uh, Christian this was uh, Robin Hood. Wait, 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 wait. You know what? I'm going to go in the fish tank. <laughs> this is the final one? Yes. This is the this toughest is of tough that I you have? I don't know what he's thinking here. Come on. Phil. This is not fair. What was this Morgan Freeman, Kevin Costner movie? All righty, Matt. Your clue this week, not the Disney movie. That's a terrible clue. I mean, if I didn't Play know the, the answer. easiest question and the worst clue. <laughs> right. If I didn't know the answer, this is the thing with the clues. Yeah. If you know the answer, they're really clever. Yeah. But you don't ask for a clue yeah. when you know the answer. <laughs> yeah. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Which that was is correct. One of the greatest movies of the 90s. Wow. I mean, let's yeah. be honest. Wow. Kevin Costner's Zenith. Brian Adams. Yeah, his, uh, you know, four to three. This was a, this was a quality trivia. Yes, it was. Let's be yes, honest. Handshake here, gentlemen. Was. Well done. That was fun. Well done. Uh, in fact, the jawbreaker, if it came down to that, was to Frank. And the jawbreaker was this: Is that Robin Hood adaptation the best there's been? 
No, I just saw one, and I wasn't even really fully. I didn't get to watch it all with Russell Crowe. Oh, whoa! Did yeah, you Frank's see this wrong one? on that one. Do you one. know the movie I'm talking yeah. about? I think it's called Fat Robin Hood. Well, but again, it is called the, Fat Robin Hood. The story was better. Like it was actually well acted, well, or at least pudgy Robin Hood. I can't remember the there's name. Been of it, so, there's been a glut of bad Robin Hood movies lately. The, the one with Jamie Foxx. Overweight Robin no, Hood. I know there's got not, a name like that. That one's not. No, don't do that. Yeah. All right. Uh, Real jawbreaker was this age of Ed Harris closest to Matt. Do you got a guess? Whoa, Ed Harris is like one of those guys who 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 must be like five hundred years old. That is incorrect. All right, I'm gonna guess late seventies for Ed Harris. I I have no touchstone here, so I'm just gonna say seventy five. Lock him in at seventy five, Frank. You got a guess? Seventy two. Give that to Frank. Sixty eight. Oh. Sixty eight for Ed Harris. <laughs> he just looks the look. He does. <laughs> he's been on the rocks. He's, he's seen he's, some shit. He's seen some things, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Always fun with Frank. Uh, brings us to the end of a great job. First and foremost, got to thank Frank for coming back on. This has been a blast. It's been a pleasure. Best of luck with Cora. Hey, thank you. You and, guys keep doing And come what back doing. on as this uh, develops into bigger and better things, if, right? If you'll have me, I'll be back. Awesome. We'll have you, buddy. Uh, we also got to thank the cool guy over there behind the glass. It's Phil Me and Phil. Thank you guys so much. Best night of the week, every week. Matt, we also got to thank the sponsors. Yeah, thanks to Overcast and the Chicago Podcast Co-op, who help us get cool sponsors like them. If you want to support Cinema Jaw, the easiest way to do so is by leaving us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. And while you're there, click subscribe. One extra button helps us out tremendously. Until next week, I'm Rye, the movie guy. I'm Matt Kay. And and keep keep on on John about about the the movies. movies.